her book, Feminine Appeal. Carolyn Mahaney writes, Can you conceive of anything that sets forth the beauty of the gospel more brilliantly than the godly behavior of those who have received it? Consider the loveliness of a woman who passionately adores her husband, who tenderly cherishes her children, who creates a warm and peaceful home, who exemplifies Christ in her character. I dare say there are few things that display the gospel with greater elegance. This is true feminine appeal. Our sermon text today sets before Christian women the awesome opportunity that they have to display the gospel through their lives, their marriages, and their homes. So please take your copy of God's Word. Turn with me to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. This is our sixth study in this New Testament book. Last week, if you were with us, Titus 2 spoke to the men. This week, Titus 2, verses 3 through 5, are going to speak to the women, older women and younger women. And I'm going to leave that to you to decide which one you are, because I wouldn't touch that with a 10-foot pole. And by the way, I'm not going to open up with any old lady jokes. I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb. Just like last week, this text is not really about the difference between older women and younger women. This text is about Christian women living out the faith in a Cretan culture. Now, I say Cretan culture because Titus is a letter from the Apostle Paul to his partner, Titus, who was assigned ministry on the island of Crete in about 60 A.D. And he gives a sense in his letter of the culture in Crete. Look in chapter 1, verse 12. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul says this testimony is true. Crete was notorious for a culture of self-indulgence. And this letter indicates that, in particular, Cretan women were marked by immoral behavior and biting words, laziness and addiction to substances, broken marriages and bad parenting. Friends, I'm afraid that That sounds a lot like our culture, doesn't it? But the gospel gives hope for something much better. Ladies, that's my prayer for you. That God will transform you through the gospel of Christ so that you will live as Christian women in our Cretan culture. So let's read our sermon text, Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. And friends, this is God's word. Verse 3, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and so train the young women. Train the young women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. That's God's word. So in a nutshell, in a sentence, here's the message of this text and of my sermon. Christian women, Live out the faith in such a way that the beauty of the gospel is displayed in our Cretan culture. So I want to start with the end. 
I want to start with the goal of this that's listed there in verse 5. Look, that the word of God may not be reviled. The goal of living as Christian women there on Crete or here in Winchester is, quote, so that God's word may not be reviled. The word reviled means to blaspheme, to speak against. In this case, it's God's word that is in view. We can assume that that's talking about the gospel. So to put that more positively, Christian ladies... You are to live in such a way that speaks well of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that demonstrates the credibility and the power of the gospel to transform Cretan women into Christian women. Live in such a way that demonstrates the power of the gospel to reconcile broken marriages and rear healthy children. Put the transforming power of the word of God on display through your life. Carolyn Mahaney puts it this way. These virtues that are listed here in Titus 2, 3 through 5 are not about a woman's personal fulfillment or individual preference. Our conduct has a direct influence on how people think about the gospel. People don't necessarily want to know what we believe about the Bible. They want to see if what we believe makes a difference in our lives. Our actions either bring honor to God or misrepresent his truth. Sisters, that's the goal. To display the power of the transforming gospel through your life, marriage, and home. But I want to emphasize, with highlighter quality emphasis, from the very beginning of this sermon, that the power to live as Christian women in our Cretan culture does not come from you. It comes from Christ in you. Living as a Christian, displaying the gospel in the power of your own self-determination and ability is absolutely impossible. Now look, it seems to me it's obvious that being in a being a woman in a world that has a history of oppressing and objectifying women is hard enough. On top of that, sharing a house and a bathroom with an uncivilized Neanderthal must feel like purgatory. And from what I can tell, being the mother of young children requires Marvel class superpowers. Now, if you are going to add to all of that, trying to live out the gospel by your own ability and determination, it will certainly lead to exhaustion, anxiety, and depression. And my friends, I'm afraid that many Christians fall into that performance trap, don't they? That's not the gospel of Jesus. That's not good news. And that's not what Paul or Titus or I am asking you to do, ladies. The gospel provides the power required to live it out. It's built in. It comes as a gift of the grace of God to us. So notice, even before we get into this text, verse 3 through 5, notice that Paul surrounds these imperative commands of chapter 2 with the gospel. 
so that we understand this kind of womanhood, this kind of manhood, this kind of worker in society is a reflection of the transforming grace of God to us through Jesus Christ. In chapter 1, before we ever get to these instructions for every member of the church, chapter 1, Paul exposes the fallacy of the command-driven, do-more-live-better performance-based religion. It's a false gospel touted by false teachers, but it's very common. And then after these instructions, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, look at it. Paul gives the basis, the reason that we can live this way in chapter 2, verse 1 through 10. Why? How? For. For the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live. The gospel that has appeared trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, waiting, waiting for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people, men and women, boys and girls, for his own possession who are zealous of good works. Friends, that's the power. The power To live lives that speak well of the gospel does not come from us. It comes from the redeeming grace and presence of Christ in us. So the deeper you go into the gospel, the more it will saturate you and shine from you. So go deep in the gospel, grace, and glory of Jesus Christ, ladies. Because we are all called to put the gospel on display in our lives and homes. So Christian women, live out the faith in such a way, he's about to describe that, in such a way that the beauty of the gospel is portrayed in our Cretan culture. Here in chapter 2, verse 3 through 5, Paul encourages women, gives them instructions in how to display the beauty of the gospel. Nine beautiful displays of the gospel. First of all, The gospel is displayed by older women who are godly. The gospel is displayed by older women who are godly. That's verse 3. Look there in verse 3. Older women, likewise, just like the men, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not slaves to much Wine. You can see right there in verse 3 that there are three characteristics that are to mark older women. There's one positive, be reverent, and then two negative, not slanderers and not slaves to much wine. I suggest that they're connected. So I line them up under this first point that the gospel is displayed by older women who are godly. Why do I use the word godly? Because that first Imperative there, be reverent in behavior. The word reverent is beautiful. It it means this, a demeanor befitting that which is sacred. A demeanor, an older woman who has a demeanor that befits that which is sacred. The, The root of that word is tied to everything that's associated with God. For example, temple. 
priest, and sacrifice. All of them have this root of the word sacred or reverent. And here Paul calls the older women to be just like the temple, the priest, and the sacrifices who are consecrated to God. Older women display the gospel by living a life that is set apart for God. What is that? That's a godly life. That is a godly woman. And godly Christian women, especially there in Crete, are not marked by two vices that the rest of the Cretan women apparently are marked by. They are not slanderers and they are not slaves. Too much wine. So Paul says, older women who are godly are not slanderers. That means malicious gossips. It's a a loose and a biting tongue that speaks negatively about others. Sisters, gossip might start as a simple conversation, and it might even start as concern for others, but when talk turns that negative, it turns us against one another, and it divides the church rather than unifies it. So be careful, sisters and brothers, about what our tongues speak. And godly older women are not to be slaves to much Why? Now, if you were making a list of all of the things that an older woman should be and should not be, do you think that would make your list? Don't be a slave to much wine. If you lived in Crete, it would. Isn't it interesting how Paul describes this? They are enslaved to wine. The Bible doesn't prohibit drinking wine. In fact, Psalm 104, verse 15 says, God gives wine to gladden the heart of man. But it does prohibit being slaves to wine. So why would an older Christian woman, an older Christian, these are instructions to Christian women. Why would an older Christian woman be, quote, a slave to much wine? Because maybe that's how she escapes reality or... Maybe that's how she has been settling her anxiety, or maybe that's how for a long time she has been coping with the chaos created by her husband and her children. So she escapes with her glass or her gummies. Friends, sometimes medications are exactly the right solution for our imbalances, and we ought to praise God for the medical technology that gives those things to us. But this right here is a good reminder that just like wine, we can also abuse good things. We can have an unhelpful and an unhealthy dependence on substances to provide what the Lord promises through his spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit, sisters. Because godly women display the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in a beautiful way. So let me ask you a question. In what ways could your words and actions more fully reflect the beauty of God and his gospel? Display number two. Paul tells us at the end of verse three and verse four, that the gospel is displayed by older women who teach younger women. Do you see that in verse 3 and 4? They, the older women, are to teach what is good and so train the young women to be wives, mothers, women of God. Just this week, a young bride cried about how different marriage was than what she thought. Just this week, 
mother of young children wished that she had someone to talk to because she feels so overwhelmed by the heaviness of marriage and parenting. Just this week, an older Christian woman longed for the close friendships that she once had. The answer for each one of these Christian women is community. God designed the Christian life to be lived together. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 verse 9 and 10 says this, Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his or her fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift her up. Paul says older women are to teach the younger women what is good. And then everything that comes after it is what God considers to be good. It's actually one word that Paul coined. Teachers of good. And you see that the the goal of being teachers that are good is to train the younger women. We think of this in modern day terms as mentoring or discipleship. Listen, men and women, mentoring is not a program in the church. It's the normal Christian life. God designed one-to-one relationships so that we will have a mutual benefiting relationship that encourages us and grows us in the gospel. I've benefited this from all my, in, during all my life. Charlie White, Dave White, Dave McClanahan, John Mastretta, Larry Brody, Jim Alley, Gene Blair, Doug Elder, Keto Cooper, Charlie Reed, Dave Murray, Rob Spinney. These are the older men who either took special interest in me or whom I reached out to to learn from them. Anything good in me is a direct result of them. And their investment as an older man into this younger man. And I am eternally grateful. Let me ask you. Do you have a relationship like that? Who's encouraging you in your walk with Christ? Flip the coin over. What younger Christian are you encouraging in their walk with Christ. We need each other, don't we? Yeah. I know you agree. But I can also hear all of the reasons that you give for not being in a relationship with this. I'm an introvert. I don't have time. I don't know who to ask. I don't feel mature enough. I don't think anyone would want to learn from me. Even if I was in this relationship, I wouldn't know what to do. Listen, I hear you. I'm not going to argue with you. Every one of those reasons slash excuses has a bit of truth in it. And every one of those will keep you from a mutually beneficial, God-ordained, beautiful gospel relationship. Men and women. I'd like to encourage you to consider these reasons alongside of those other reasons that come so quickly and naturally to your mind. Consider these reasons for getting over what it is, whatever it is that's keeping you from a one-to-one type relationship. Consider that this is God's design for you and the Christian life. Consider that this is how you can serve one another. 
consider that this benefits your spiritual growth as much as it benefits theirs. Consider that this promotes the health and unity of our church unlike just about anything else. Consider that this one-to-one, older-to-younger relationship is one of the God-ordained ways that, that displays the gospel of the new community of Christ to a watching world. We really want to encourage every one of our members and non-members in this kind of relationship. Let me just take another minute to to press home this very, very practically, can I? So if you've been listening to this as if it's a sermon where you kind of just, yeah, 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 I want you to tune in for just a moment and listen as if this really is good for your soul. Listen, sisters and brothers, you don't have to have a degree in counseling. You don't need to have it all together. Look at the text. The only qualification is that you are what? Older. And yes, that means age, but it also means experience. Younger women can can teach and train those who are a little bit less than them because it's not just age, it is also experience. You have experienced some things in life that God has designed for you to not only grow through, but for you to use to help other people. So we want to do everything we can to encourage one-to-one mentoring. Two things. Number one, just look around. Just look around this beautiful church and, and find another brother or sister who's just a little bit farther down the road and ask them if they will enter into this kind of relationship. Ask them if they'll meet with you once a month, once a quarter, once a week, whatever it is that you feel like your schedule can handle. Ask them. But we also recognize that, boy, is that ever scary sometimes? And maybe you don't know who to ask. So we want to help. I already said that mentoring and discipleship is not a program of the church. It's the normal Christian life. But if we can help, we want to. So we've set up a portion of our website, and we're going to give you a little card as you leave this morning where you can sign up to either be mentored or to mentor someone else. And all we're going to do with that is accumulate names and then those who want to be mentored, we're going to send them the list of men and women who are just available, who would be willing to help. And then you take it from there. We're not going to match up. There's no dating service. Okay, you, you take it from there. You can do this on your own timeline. But look at that list and say, you know what? I think I could benefit from her. And now I know she is willing. He's willing. And we can figure out how to do it in our schedules. And brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, you will not regret it. You, like me, will be eternally grateful for it. Here's the point. The gospel is displayed as older Christians teach younger Christians about life, marriage, parenting. So let's make one-to-one mentoring a bigger part of our church because it will make our church more of a healthy gospel display. Number three, and yes, I know there are nine, and yes, A few of them are going to be a lot heavier than the others. And yes, by the time we get to about 50 minutes, I'll be blowing through stuff and throwing away notes. Happens every week. Number three. According to the text, the gospel is displayed by wives. Wives who love their husbands. Just younger wives? No, 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 no. See, the older wives are supposed to Train the younger wives, which means the older wives are not allowed to be tired and done with their husbands. They have to love their husbands so that they can be an example of 
a beautiful God-centered marriage to these younger ladies. So keep on listening, older sisters. Verse 4, train them to what? Love their husbands. Given what we know about the Cretan culture, I think that we know the marriages were a mess. And there's a million reasons why wives might have a hard time loving their husbands. First and foremost, they're men. Secondly, you're both sinners. And anytime two sinners get put into the same house together, there's going to be a lot of sinning on each other going on. But friends, God created marriage to be a special display of the gospel. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us that marriage uniquely, uniquely and especially portrays the gospel because the gospel is a covenant union between Christ and his church. And marriage is a covenant union between one man and one woman for one life. So a Christian wife who loves her husband, loves her husband with the same love that she receives from her greater husband, the Lord Jesus Christ. And the gospel is for better or for worse. The gospel is until death do us part. And friends, the resurrection of Jesus means you're safe and secure forever. So our marriages are called to be forever, this life, covenant unions. Again, Carolyn Mahaney emphasizes gospel love does not include a contingency clause. This does not say, look at the text, love their husbands if they have godly character or if they are deserving of this kind of love or if they change. We are to love our husbands with a tender, affectionate love regardless of their response. Why? Because, sister, that's how Jesus loves you. And the gospel is on the line in your marriage. Love your husbands. And show your husband what the gospel looks like. Show your kids what the gospel looks like. Show your neighbors and coworkers what the gospel looks like. What a beautiful display. What an awesome opportunity, right, ladies? And God will give you all the power to do it through his spirit and his word. Number four, the gospel is displayed not only by loving your husbands, but by mothers who love their children. See there at the end of verse four, not only to love their husbands, but and their children. It seems like It's absolutely unnecessary to tell a mother to love her children, doesn't it? Except that the Cretan in all of us loves self more than we love our kids. But a Christian mother has been transformed by the love of Jesus. And the love of Jesus is two things. It is selfless and it is sacrificial. And isn't that a beautiful definition and very practical definition of mothering, selflessness, and sacrifice. Paul knew that. He chose a young mom as a picture of what real pastoral ministry looks like. He said this. He gives the imagery of a nursing mother caring for her uh, child with great affection. And then he says this, not just sharing the gospel, but sharing our whole self. Isn't that what you do, moms? In another place, uh, Paul said about those that he served, I will most gladly spend and be spent 
for your souls. Why was Paul willing to do that for sinners in churches? Because Christ didn't just spend. He was spent on the cross for our souls. Moms, that calls every one of you to spend and be spent for your children. You want to know what it looks like to be a good mother? It looks like every single day pouring yourself out no matter what comes back. Because that's what Jesus does for us. Douglas McKelvey, in his beautiful book, Every Moment Holy, describes the menial and sometimes laborious task of changing diapers like this. It's one of 10,000 acts by which moms are actively creating a culture of compassion and service, selfless love that shapes the life of her child. He reminds you, mom, that changing diapers sits upstream of God changing their hearts. So mom, in the midst of your exhaustion, remember the goal of mothering is not just happy, healthy children, but it's children who become disciples of Jesus. The way you love your children, the way you love your children, not just that you love your children, But the way you love through selfless sacrifice demonstrates Christ's love and speaks well of the gospel to them every day. Let me ask you, Mom. Are you spending enough time saturating yourself with Christ's love for you so that you can give Christ's love to your kids? If you feel low on fuel, now we know where to get it, don't we? Number five. The gospel is displayed beautifully by women who are controlled by the Spirit. Look there at verse five. Train the younger women to be what? Self-controlled. We have already noted that self-control is emphasized Five different times and distinctly Christian in a Cretan culture. Men, younger men, younger women, bond slaves. The whole church is to be marked by self-control. This word means to be in your right mind. Are you in your right mind? (laughs) Uh, Being in your right mind means that your actions... Your actions, what you do, how you behave, is controlled by healthy thoughts rather than unhealthy, yeah, even sinful thoughts, emotions, appetites, passions. You remember the, the maniac of the, of the, uh, Gerasenes who when he was delivered of the legion of spirits that had controlled him, the Bible says he was in his right mind. He was self-controlled because now he was controlled by the love of Jesus. The gospel is displayed by women who are controlled by the spirit of Jesus rather than the spirit of the Cretan culture. Listen, Cretan women, they're controlled by the spirit of Crete. It's whatever they're listening to, whatever they're seeing on their feeds. It's it's whatever their music is pumping into their head. It's whatever they're seeing out there by all of the influencers. The spirit of Crete is all around us, and it often controls the way we live. But Christian women are controlled by the spirit of God. I can think of a hundred ways that men typically lack self-control. But I had a really hard time figuring out how women lack self-control. But I've got two words for you. Throw pillows. 
totally out of control. Now, listen, rather than me making a list, let me just ask you. Christian ladies, what area of your life needs to be brought under the control of God's spirit and God's truth rather than your flesh so that your life speaks well of the gospel? Number six. Number six. Continue in verse five. The gospel is displayed by women who are pure. Pure in heart. Pure in life. In a culture, obviously, of sensuality, immodesty, immorality, the beauty of the gospel shines brightly and distinctly through morally pure and virtuous women. Paul spoke about this in, I mean, pardon me, Peter spoke about this in his first letter, chapter 3. He says to the ladies, don't let your adorning be external like the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry and the clothing that you wear. But listen to this. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Moral purity and virtue distinct shines the culture against the backdrop of women who are immodest, immoral, materialistic, self-centered. So let me ask you a question. In what ways can your life, ladies, your life, inwardly and outwardly, more beautifully reflect the purity of your Redeemer. Number seven. Continuing in verse five, the gospel is displayed by women who are diligent at home. Look at verse five. Teach and train the younger women to be working at home. To be working at home. That's One compound word that means one who works at home. The emphasis is on working. Christian wives and mothers are to be diligent, hard workers at home. You know why? Because in the pastoral epistles, there was a common problem among the younger women in the community and in the church. War. And persecution made many young widows. And in 1 Timothy, Paul says they learned to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies. So war makes young widows, and widows become idle and lazy. So Paul tells Titus, Instruct the younger women and the older women to be models of this, to be busy, to be hard workers, diligent workers at home. This is certainly an encouragement toward diligence. But more than that, more than that, the emphasis here is on the incredible value of working at home. Please hear me. In no sense am I saying that women should not work outside the home. In no sense. But in a culture then and now that advertises the significance of the marketplace and minimizes the home. This text shows us that God says managing your home is incredibly important work, worthy, worthy of your life and your diligence. Homemakers, 
What do you think of when you think of someone who is successful at work? You think of someone who excels because they pour their heart and mind into their work because it's their calling or it's incredibly important work. Sisters, you have no small and insignificant job. Working at home calls you to display your work and your value in your home as diligently as you can. Listen, invest your energy and your skill. Invest your education and your creativity into your home because that's one of God's primary callings for you wife and mother. How could you invest yourself at home that would make it a place of peace for your husband and your children and a display of the gospel to those who come in? Number eight. Continuing in verse 5, the gospel is displayed by women who are, what's the next word? Kind. Kind to others. It's interesting to me that they use the word kind. It's, it's appropriate. It's a good translation, but it's the same word as good. This is just good in action, which is Kindness. You know why? Because gospel kindness shines like light into the darkness of a self-centered Cretan culture, doesn't it? Kindness is doing good, and Christian women are called to do good and be kind because Christ has done us the greatest kindness and good through his death and resurrection. So, ladies, how could you make your home a source of kindness in your neighborhood? That would be a worthy investment, wouldn't it? Finally, number nine. Number nine. Nine displays of the gospel. True feminine appeal. The gospel is displayed by wives who are submissive to their husbands. You see that in verse 5? Train the younger women to be submissive to their husbands. Well, we were okay till we got to that last one. <laughs> they all grab their purses and walk out. Listen, friends. God's design for the home God's design is for male headship and female submission. If you don't like that, and by the way, we don't like that. We don't like that because part of the fall baked into our DNA as fallen sinful human beings is this from Genesis chapter 3. Part of the curse to women, God said to the woman... Your desire shall be contrary to, to your husband, and he will rule over you. Part of the curse is constant conflict between husbands who abuse their leadership and wives who rebel against it. And that's exactly why wives who lovingly voluntarily submit to their own husbands puts the gospel of God on display. In the midst of a culture that says, I am woman, hear me roar. Sisters, Paul calls you as a wife, to display the gospel by gladly living out God's design for you and your home. 
Submission is to line up under authority. To support. Not every man, but what? Your own husband. The gospel is displayed by wives who are submissive to their husbands. Fellas, that puts responsibility directly on us, doesn't it? To lead in such a way that our wives don't have a problem submitting to our leadership. We don't have time to go into any more detail on this. Let me recommend Carolyn Mahaney's book, Feminine Appeal. I'd be happy for you to borrow my wife's copy. I did. But this overview, this sketch, ladies, it shows you the awesome opportunity that you have to display the beauty of the gospel through your personal character, through your marriage, through your home. Sisters, may God give you the grace to live out the faith in such a way that the beauty of the gospel is displayed in our Cretan culture. I'd like to pray for you as we close this service. God, what we have seen here are beautiful, truly beautiful women. Older women, younger women. And you didn't say a thing about clothes and makeup, hair or bodies. You emphasized the beauty of the gospel shining through the life of Christian women. And I pray that the women of our church would go deep in the gospel of Jesus so that they're saturated in it, so that it shines from every one of them to their husbands and their children, to their family members, to their neighbors, to their co-workers. I pray that the gospel would be spoken well of, that people would be drawn to the gospel because of the living embodiment of it through the women, the sisters at Winchester Baptist. Give us your grace and do this for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.